Time is running away from us, so let's uh, jump right into it. Grab your copy of the scriptures or your um, electronic device and turn to, not James today, turn to Ephesians, if you would, the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. I'll tell you why. Um, Last time we were together, we spoke on the tongue. It's the toughest member of our body to tame. It's the greatest test of our spiritual development. This thing is worse than a greased pig wrestling contest at the county fair. This is a real toughie to get a hold of. I think we all can attest to that. We say some of the worst things. And today, I just wanted to take a detour. We, We talked about how difficult it was, and today I wanted to get into why it's so difficult to get a hold of this thing. And so we're going to jump back into Ephesians in chapter 4. The reason being, the, the root of the tongue, and this is right off the bat in your worship study guide there on the back of your East Bay Weekly, the root of the tongue is the heart. The root of the tongue is the heart there's a verse in Scripture, Matthew 12, 34, that is very succinct about this. It says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whatever's inside is, whoop, it's going to come right up and out. And we're all testimony to this, gang. If the heart is full of pride, the mouth will speak boasting, It'll speak put-downs, it'll speak gossip. That's what comes out if the mouth has pride, or if the heart has pride. If the heart has greed, it'll speak wants, it'll speak wishes, it speaks desires, it speaks cravings. If the heart has lust, it speaks loose words and jokes, innuendos and suggestive speech, If there's hatred, there's cursing, there's slander, there's insults, there's arguments, there's retaliation. If the heart is filled with selfishness, there's complaints, there's frustrations. You know, I got thinking about this. Words don't just come out of thin air. You know, they aren't produced in our lungs. Their intentions aren't formed across our vocal cords. Ultimately, words, they come from our heart. And and of all the challenging motivations that can stimulate our words in a poor manner, of all the motivations that can stimulate our words, probably the one that stimulates them the most, at least for me, is anger. And that's the one I want to touch on this morning. That's why we're in Ephesians chapter 4. The one that gets us to say the most damaging things is anger. Anger is so abrupt. It is so impulsive. It is so damaging. And some of us might have even done this on the way to church. Now don't look at the person around you. Some of you may have been so frustrated and angry. We're going to be late again. Every week. Get in 
the car. Get, sit down, but no, oh, be quiet back there. And you pull in, get, get in the church. And you pull in, hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, I know what you're like. Jim Taylor in um, his magazine, Currents, tells the following story about his friend Ralph Milton. One morning, Ralph woke up at five in the morning to a noise that sounded like someone was repairing boilers on his roof. And so he's still in his pajamas and he went into the backyard to investigate. There's a woodpecker on the TV antenna pounding his brains out on this metal pole. Oh, and he got so mad that he lost sleep. And Ralph grabbed this rock and he threw it and the rock sailed over the house and he heard a distant crash as it hit his car window on the other side. Oh, and then he was really mad. And in utter disgust, he took a vicious kick at this clot of dirt only to realize that the clot of dirt was a rock and remember too late that he was still in his bare feet. And so then he's got a, a broken car window and a broken foot. And after, you know, he got all of his wits about him and he thought back and he's like, you know, it sure made losing a little sleep seem like a small thing. And then he got thinking of all three problems that he had. Which one did the woodpecker create? Loss of sleep. And which ones did he create with his anger? A broken window and a broken foot. Robert Jones, in his book, Uprooting Anger, wrote, Anger is a universal problem prevalent in every culture Experienced by every generation, no one's isolated from its presence or immune from its poison. He goes on, it permeates each person and spoils our most intimate relationships. Anger is a given part of our fallen human fabric. And then Jones adds, sadly, this is true even in our Christian homes and circles. True. And just as pride, worry, patience, and selfishness are embedded, so also is anger a very common element in all of our lives. Anger stimulates words. We all know it. Anger stimulates words that come out of our mouths that can be really damaging. I want to give us four understandings of anger, and I just want to move through these. I want to give us three types of anger because then we need to jump into Ephesians. I, we've got to hit on the text with this. Here's, here's four things about anger. These are on your East Bay Weekly. I think I filled them all in for you. All of us deal with it, okay? If you don't, wow, you come on up and teach, okay? And I'll sit down. Every one of us deals with anger. We get angry because we don't get our way, because we, don't, we have to wait, because our expectations are unmet, because... They didn't treat me right. But then some people say, well, I don't hardly ever blow up. Well, anger can be an external thing or an internal thing. 
we don't have to blow up to be angry. You know, just think about it. The boss that chews out the employee exposes his anger. But the employee that seethes with inward resentment deals with no less anger than the boss. You know what I'm talking about? One person said, I always get the last word. Maybe when you're too far away to hear me. But I always get the last word. That's this anger that may be inward. You don't get to hear it. Still anger. Number three, anger can manifest itself in more ways than just blowing up. It, it can surface in sarcasm, gossip, neglect, revenge. It can even surface in, husbands, don't look at your wives. It can even surface in the look. Like I said, don't look right now, husbands. It will not go well for you. Here's the fourth one. Sadly, anger is often directed toward those we should love the most. You realize that? This is the part that stinks. Our spouse, our children, our parents, our siblings, church family, how often do we catch our words like we've got to be so kind to the generic person out there, but when we step into the house, those are the ones that may get it. The people we hardly know, they get the nice us. The people we know the most... James says it best, and we've already been there in James 1.20, that the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. There's three kinds of anger. I just want to work through these. There's abusive anger, number one. There's radical outbursts that cause physical or intense emotional damage. These are beyond our discussion today except for me to say this. If you are in a situation where there is evident abuse, either you are being abused or you are the abuser, I want to tell you right now, please get help. Do not let this go on another day. It needs to end. And a place to start can be your church family, your pastors. Please get help. Here's number two, righteous anger. These are tempered responses out of an accurate perception of true evil against God. Jesus had righteous anger. Now, trust me, these are probably not things we're going to be dealing with today. Oftentimes I've heard people say, oh yes, I have righteous indignation. Uh, seldom do we really have 
righteous indignation. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about number three, everyday anger. This is what we deal with, expressions of annoyance, displeasure, hostility, typical responses of frustration, visual disturbance, sarcasm, gossip, revenge, hollering, the silent treatment. This is what we are dealing with today. <clears throat> and one person has described this as getting, getting angry can be like leaping into a wonderfully responsive sports car, gunning the motor, taking off at high speed, and then discovering the brakes aren't working. And it's true. So here we are in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And, and let's just leap right into this text. And we're going to see three primary truths to extinguish anger. And instead of just talking about the tongue, we need to get a hold of the tongue. I want to talk about the root. Let's talk about the heart. Let's talk about the things that incite the words to come out. Instead of saying, where did that come from? I wish I didn't say that. Let's actually grab at this root and start to deal with it down here. <clears throat> so look at 31 and 32. I'm just going to read the two verses, and then I'm going to give you three truths, and here they are. 31 and 32, the writer says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice so verse 31 is basically anger and all of its relatives and then verse 32 is the antidote he says and be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you Certainly this follows a greater context of which I'm going to hint at in a moment. But let me give you three truths to extinguish anger, to deal with it at the root, to deal with it before whoop, it pops up and out, and we say things that we should not be saying. Let's deal with the root. And here's root number one, dealing with the anger that causes the motivation of our words. Truth number one, people don't make us angry. We choose it. People don't make us angry. We choose it. Interestingly enough, verse 31, the responsibility by the writer... In this case, it's the Apostle Paul. The responsibility is on the person who is angry. And he says, you need to get rid of this. Not on the person who might be making you angry. He doesn't say, get rid of the person who's making you angry. That would be a much better command, wouldn't it? Just get rid of your anger. It's your responsibility. Take responsibility for it. Now, I've heard people say, and we've all heard it said, they made me angry. 
You hear that one? Better yet, you said that one? They gave me no other choice. If they never did this, I would have never been angry. Interesting, someone's words or actions may be the occasion for our anger. I understand. They may present an opportunity for our anger. I understand. But they don't make that choice for us. Now, some make the choice to be angry a very easy choice to make. True? But in the end, it's still our choice. And then we say things. We don't take responsibility for it, and then we say things. I'll tell you, I heard a poem years ago. This little short poem. And and if you are in a marriage relationship, this poem will help you so much. If you can remember this, you'll come back to me one day and say, Pastor, you changed my marriage on February 17th, 2019. Here's what it is. You ready? Deals with your speech in marriage. To keep your marriage brimming... With love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Good advice, amen? Amen. One of the first steps in extinguishing anger is to own it. to take responsibility for it. Don't just blame it on them. They made me. No, they they did not. We chose it. Here's number two. Truth number two is anger has a lot of bad associates. Not only do we take a so, uh, responsibility for it, we need to recognize <clears throat> anger has a lot of bad relatives. <clears throat> and some of us, when we've gotten into this anger deal, it doesn't end there. <clears throat> Notice anger's relatives in verse 31. Bitterness. We've been there. You realize there's that event. And when we don't let go of it, we'll bring it up later. Years later. And we'll tell them about it. And that's bitterness. And that's when we realize it doesn't end with anger. And for some people, then it goes beyond bitterness, that ongoing animosity. And 
And for some people, it's slander and will tell people things about that individual. Rage, brawling, on and on. Realize anger never stays in place. If we flirt with it and harbor it, it never stays in place. It never stops with just that. Anger is a cancer that grows and grows and eventually consumes. A lady once came to Billy Sunday, who's a a famous evangelist from years and years ago. And she tried to rationalize her outbursts. And she said, Reverend Sunday, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. She says, I, boom, I blow up, and then it's all over. And Sunday said, it's over for you, but it's not over for those you blow up toward. And then he said this, a shotgun blows up, and it's over for the shotgun. But it's not over for the one that was shot. There's a lot of bad, bad relatives of anger. And the text wants us to understand that we need to take responsibility at the root. We need to realize it never stays with just that. Normally a frustration just doesn't stay there. It spreads to other things. And boy, I wish I had more time. I I need to give you number three. We need to keep on trucking. We packed a lot into today. Um, Here's number three. This is the main one. We've really got to lock into this. Number three. It's one thing to know. I think we all agree, anger, bad, need to end it. Here's number three, though. How do we end it? What do we do about it? Number three, anger's remedy is replacement. Anger's remedy is replacement. This whole text, I mentioned to you the context, the whole context of Ephesians 4 is replacement. Can I just run up the passage with you a little bit, say to verse 22? I want you to see there's a repeated structure that is given. He mentions in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self so you notice so put off and put on so there's this there's a structure that he's giving us you need to put off stuff and you need to replace it by putting on and he mentions this through a number of situations coming along here and one of these is verse 31 and 32 and so he's saying you know what when you deal with issues of anger 
We need to replace them with these things in verse 32. Anger's remedy is replacement. Not just stuffing it. Not just clamping down on the tongue. But actually replacing it with something different. And he gives three specific things to replace anger with in verse 32. And the first one is kindness. Instead of having a heart that deals with all of these relatives of anger, he says, be kind. Next, he mentions compassion. Then having a heart of forgiveness. Then he mentions our example is Jesus Christ. Kind of a beautiful thing. I want to mention to you an example of... um, Someone from Scripture. Um, In the Old Testament, there was an individual by the name of Joseph. And he was one of 13 brothers. And he was the most favored brother of all. His dad made him this coat. And it was a privileged coat that had just a number of different colors that were involved with it and and uh, Joseph told his brother about dreams he was having and probably wasn't necessarily a great idea because his dreams were hey I had this dream like that you all would be bowing to me isn't that a great dream and they didn't necessarily like the dream and he told him again they didn't like it well anyways he's out in the field and uh, the brothers are like hey here he comes let's kill him let's just kill him And uh, they threw him in a pit. They're thinking of ways to kill him. And along comes this caravan. And that's that's not a a minivan from the 80s. That's um, a group from Egypt that was looking to take people into slavery. And so, whoop, here you go. They sold him to slavery. They took the coat. They ripped it apart. They ended up pouring blood on it. And they went back to Dad and said, hey, he's dead. Sorry. And Joseph went from that pit, he went to slavery in Egypt in the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife actually was trying to seduce Joseph into a sexual relationship. And you know, I if there was a situation that he could have said, you know what, I'm in a foreign land. Looks like my God forgot me. I'm going to do my own thing. Who cares? But Joseph stayed true to God. And he had an upright relationship and he would not give in. And he refused all of her advances even to the point where she ended up making up a story and told Potiphar, her husband, that Joseph was advancing on her. Potiphar had him thrown in prison. So he went from the pit to Potiphar's home to prison, and this is now a duration of 23 years from when he was back at his home. 
And finally in prison, Pharaoh in Egypt has a dream. Joseph is able to interpret it and and Joseph ends up being second in command in all of Egypt and the the dream was that there would be famine over the whole region including Israel. And when the famine ends up coming, wouldn't you know it, Joseph's family comes from Israel to Egypt to get the stockpiled food that they had uh, there in Egypt because Joseph helped them prepare that and prepare for the famine, and Joseph sees his brothers. Now, I don't know how you would feel at that point. But if it were me... The story may end a little bit differently than it did in the Bible. It would be in Joseph saw his brothers, or in this case, and Brian saw his brothers coming from afar, and they died. And you know how the story goes? It's that Joseph saw his brothers coming and he wept. And he cared for him. And then later he showed himself to them and he said, I'm, I'm Joseph. And they were scared out of their minds. They're like, this guy is going to kill us. And they're like, here, take everything. Take, you know, whatever we have. And he's like, I don't care about any of that. I don't. And somewhere in the course of things, he had replaced anger. There was no anger. There was nothing there. There was kindness. There was compassion. He gave them everything that they needed, and obviously there was forgiveness. And then I end up thinking, and here's your final things. I I have no idea how you would fill that in, but imagine, what if we all know what our speech is like if our heart has anger we we already know that but what if our heart was filled with kindness just completely jam-packed with that what would flow out i wrote down a few things if my heart was so filled with kindness my mouth would speak compliments warmth we'd be so nice to to be the one to be around I'd be nice to the people I'm speaking to and also to be the ones I'm speaking about my heart was filled with kindness if I'm filled with compassion 
I would be speaking with understanding. Even if they're not being nice to me, I would have understanding. I would be giving offers of help and care. They may have needs. And I would offer compassion. If I have a heart filled with forgiveness, my mouth would speak grace. My mouth would speak pardon, not punishment. My mouth would speak encouragement and love. I think it's kind of fitting today since we celebrated the Lord's table. It's the only way I could ever think because the text ends to do this just like Christ did. Because you know what? When Jesus was on the cross, one of the final words he said, imagine, here he is on the cross, beaten, tortured. And remember what he said? You repeat it with me. He said, Father, forgive them for they... Like, what? What? He said, what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do in the middle of being beaten to death. And my only explanation for that His heart was filled with the very things that our heart must be filled with. And that's why Paul said, just like Jesus, just like Jesus, that's the way our heart must be. I'm not going to tell us today, grab a hold of that tongue. That's a hard thing to get a hold of. I'm just going to encourage us today, you know what? Instead of yanking off that weed at the surface, I'm going to say let's trace it all the way down to the root. Start dealing with some root stuff. And if some things come out of here, chances are it's connected to stuff down here that we need to get a hold of. Let's start yanking at that thing. Start replacing it with what needs to be there. Replacing it with the things that Jesus' heart is like. Things that the gospel is all about. Let's pray together. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. We understand that these issues of the heart are big. And they're what really, they're what really count, they're what really matter. And I pray, Lord, that you would help our ministry, our people here, to tackle them. May our heart look more and more like Jesus. Even in our toughest times, our biggest frustrations. Help us, God, to start replacing the anger, to take responsibility for it, 
replace it with things that look so much like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his power in our lives to be the people that we need to be. And may we go and do that in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our jobs, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, with our relatives, in our church. All for your honor and glory. And all these be Calvary said. Amen, folks. God bless your week. Hey, look for you next Sunday. Have a good one.